I'm Dr. David Clark, and the title of this podcast is Theology and Identity. Our aim in this project is to explore the interaction between the way we understand God and the way we understand ourselves. In our first series, we're looking at the Old Testament texts to see what they tell us about the character of God and the character of the human person. We're approaching the text through the lens of narrative theology, where we see Yahweh and his people Israel as characters in a story. He has a plan and a purpose for this nation, which is deeply entwined with his desire to live with them in intimate, loving communion. In our first podcast, we noted that the central theme of the Old Testament is the promise that God gave to Abraham, that through his family, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. As we work our way through the Old Testament, this is our point of reference. At each juncture, we will ask ourselves the question, what does this have to do with the promise that God made to Abraham? God told Abraham that through his seed, all the families of the earth would receive blessing. Working from the narrative of Genesis chapters 1 to 11, we determined that there are three components of this blessing. After sin had tainted humanity's relationship with God, their relationship with one another, and their relationship with the creation, the blessing that comes through the seed of Abraham will undo the consequences of sin. This means that through the seed of Abraham will come reconciliation with God, reconciliation among people, and reconciliation with the physical creation. As we leave the book of Genesis and come into the rest of the Torah, a picture emerges of how this is all going to take shape. The essence of God's plan is to make a covenant with the descendants of Abraham. The primary purpose of this covenant is relational. God will live in love relationship with the people of Israel, and he will give them commands to follow in order to maintain that relationship. But the commandments also speak to Israel's mission or purpose in the world. As Israel obeys this law, they experience the abundant life that God had promised to Abraham. They thrive and prosper, and this does not go unnoticed. All of the families of the earth see how Israel has right relationship with their God, right relationship with one another, and how the people of Israel live in harmony with the creation. Through this example, the nations of the earth will recognize that the God of Israel is the one and only true God. They will then forsake their idols and they will worship Yahweh. When they turn from their sin and rebellion, they will then become partakers of the promise that was given to Abraham. So this is the key idea. Israel is called to abide in love relationship with Yahweh, and they are called to be a model people, an example to the nations. God had said to Abraham, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. Israel receives blessing through their relationship with God, and then they bless the nations through the example that they give. So let's unpack these ideas in more detail. How exactly does Israel receive the blessing, and how do they give it? First, how do they receive it? In our previous podcast, we noted that God said to Abraham, Fear not, for I am your shield, and I am your very great reward. Above wealth, above land, above power, the greatest gift that a woman or man can ever receive is relationship with God himself. The blessing given to Israel is first and foremost intimate communion with God. Now Christians often misunderstand how relationship with God works in the Old Testament. Sometimes we think that in the New Testament salvation is by grace and in the Old Testament salvation is by works. 
This is a misreading of the text. God's relationship with Israel begins with grace. They did nothing to earn his favor or to deserve his blessing. Deuteronomy 7, 6-8 say, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. In other words, Israel had never done anything to earn or to deserve relationship with God. He loves them and he calls them because this is what he had promised to Abraham. So this is not about salvation by works. This is relationship through grace. What Yahweh wants more than anything else is for the people of Israel to love him. We see this in what are the most important verses of the entire Old Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, it reads, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. God calls the people to love him with all of their heart, that is, with all of their feelings and emotions and passions. He calls them to love him with all of their soul. In Hebrew, this word is nephesh, and it's a very interesting word. The Ugaritic and Akkadian cognates suggest that the root meaning of this term is the neck or the throat. And this reflects the ancient idea that the soul or the life of a person resides in their neck. When you sacrifice an animal, you cut its throat. And so the idea is that the human neck or throat is where our life or soul resides. So, love God with all of your nephesh. Love God with everything that makes you alive and everything that gives you breath and everything that separates you from the dead. And then the command says, love God with all of your might. Once again, this is a very interesting term in Hebrew. The word is meod, and its root meaning is that which overflows. Imagine that I have in my left hand a glass and in my right hand, a pitcher of water. I fill the glass all the way to the top, but when it's full, I keep pouring the water and it overflows down the sides of the glass. That overflowing is meod. And so the idea behind this commandment is to love God abundantly, generously, not with half measures, not with reluctance, not with grudging compliance, but with overflowing passion. This is the blessing that Israel receives, the blessing of love relationship with Yahweh. From this relationship flows a willingness to abide in Yahweh and to follow his ways and his commands. And this leads into that second part of the promise that God made to Abraham. Israel is called to be a blessing to the nations of the earth, and that blessing comes by the example that they give. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, God said, and if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. 
blessed shall be you when you come in, and blessed shall be you when you go out. First comes the love relationship, then comes obedience to the commands. Through obedience to the commands comes peace and prosperity and abundant life. And what becomes clear as we read through the text of Deuteronomy 28 is that the nations around Israel will be taking note. In verse 10 it says, All the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be in awe of you. God's ultimate vision and God's ultimate strategy is that the reverence the nations have for the people of Israel will draw them to the worship of Yahweh. This idea is powerfully expressed in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it, and many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. The nation of Israel will be set above all the nations of the earth, and people will recognize that God is with the descendants of Abraham. They will recognize that the gods that they have been worshiping are no gods at all, and that Yahweh, the God of Israel, is the one and only true God. They will say, let's go to Jerusalem and let's ask the people of Israel to teach us about their God, that we too may worship him. As this happens, the nations of the earth receive the blessing. The promise made to Abraham is fulfilled. They are reconciled with God. They are reconciled with one another and they are reconciled with creation. Now I'm going to pause here for a moment to make an important point about theology and identity in the Old Testament. In this era, the people living in Israel did not discover their purpose in life simply on an individual basis. Rather, they found their purpose through their belonging to a chosen community. Identity in the Old Testament is not established on an individualistic level. Who they were was not defined by their personal characteristics or their personal gifts, strength, and ambitions. Their identity was found in who they were as members of a family, of a people. How they related to God and how they understood themselves was rooted and grounded in the community to which they belonged. Now, in our last podcast, we noted that the Hebrew word for seed is zerah, and this can mean many people, or it can mean one person. As we work our way through the Torah, what becomes evident is that God's initial purpose was to bring blessing to the nations through the community of Israel, the people of the twelve tribes. The seed of Abraham denotes a plurality or a community through whom his purposes will be fulfilled. At this moment in history, the seed of Abraham would not have been thought of as a single person. So God has a plan to bless all families of the earth through the nation of Israel. But the success of this strategy is dependent upon Israel's faithfulness to the covenant. And so now we ask, what exactly are the terms of this agreement that God made with the people of Israel? Old Testament scholars will often point to four elements or four pillars of this covenant. 
These are monotheism, election, Torah, and tabernacle. The first pillar is monotheism. We've already discussed the great commandment of Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. In Jewish tradition, these verses are known as the Shema, and that name comes from the first word, Shema, hear, O Israel. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In these words, we see the essence of monotheism. The God of Israel is not one God among many gods. And the different deities worshipped among the nations do not represent alternative paths to the same higher power. Yahweh, the God of Israel, is not known by other names, nor is he worshipped in different forms. In the Old Testament, Yahweh speaks of himself as the one and only God. And so the command to Israel is to worship and live in loving relationship with the one and only true God. This is the idea of monotheism. The second pillar in Jewish practice and faith is the idea of election. There is only one nation to whom God has revealed himself, and that is the nation of Israel. Deuteronomy 7 verse 6 says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Now, to be clear, this does not mean that Israel is the only nation that God loves. The very heart of the promise given to Abraham is that God's desire is to bless all nations of the earth. But what we must understand is that in the Old Testament text, the seed of Abraham is the one and only means through which the blessing of God can reach the nations. Only through Abraham's seed, there is no other way. In theological terms, we refer to these notions as universality and particularity. Universality speaks of God's desire to bring people from all the families of the earth into relationship with him. No one is excluded. There's no region that is left out. There's no race, culture, or people group that is left out. The promise given to Abraham covers all of humanity. That's the idea of universality. Particularity speaks of the way or the path to this blessing. What's very clear in the Old Testament is that there are not multiple paths. There's one path, and again, that lies with the seed of Abraham. Apart from the seed of Abraham, there is no way to have relationship with Yahweh. And so the people of Israel were called to live in this awareness. The fulfillment of God's plan depended upon them. They were the seed of Abraham. They were the elect chosen by Yahweh to be the instrument of blessing, reconciliation, and restoration for the whole world. This is the idea of election. The third pillar in the covenant that God made with Israel is the Torah. And we've noted above that the Torah or the law is not a means by which the people of Israel can earn their salvation. They are given the gift of relationship with God by grace. And obedience to the Torah is the means by which they preserve and fulfill the purposes of this relationship. Now, there are many elements of the Torah that may not make sense to us today. The commandments may at times seem random, but if we look at the laws of the Torah through a broad lens, it's not difficult to discern God's overarching purposes therein. We recall that the idea of blessing has three elements, reconciliation with God, reconciliation with other people, and reconciliation with the physical world. 
In one way or another, all 613 commandments of the Torah are meant to accomplish these objectives. In that particular historical context, obedience to the commandments of the law will result in abundant life for the people of Israel. Deuteronomy 7, 12-14 say, And because you listen to these rules and keep and do them, the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your wine and your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock and the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. So this is the third pillar of Old Testament faith and practice, the Torah. The fourth pillar of Old Testament faith and practice is the tabernacle. Leviticus chapter 16 explains the purpose of the sacrifices that were made on the Day of Atonement. Speaking of the high priest, it says, He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. The English word atonement is another way of saying at one meant. The idea is that we bring God and people back into right relationship. We've been noting that sin causes separation. It separates us from God, it separates us from one another, and it separates us from the creation. The purpose of the temple sacrifices was to reconcile and restore these broken relationships. When sin had occurred, there here was an opportunity to obtain forgiveness, healing, and restoration through the sacrifices and the offerings made in the tabernacle. So these are the four pillars of Old Testament faith and practice. Monotheism, election, Torah, and tabernacle. God is giving to Israel everything that they need to succeed. If they live in love relationship with him, if they follow the commandments, then they will be a light to the nations. They will be blessed, and they will be a blessing. The promise to Abraham will be fulfilled through the community of Israel. So in summary, we've seen in the Torah how God planned to fulfill the promise that he made to Abraham through the people of Israel. Israel was offered blessing, which above all else was intimate love relationship with Yahweh. Israel was given the chance to be a blessing, and this would occur as they lived as a model people, showing the nations of the world how to have healthy relationship with God, with one another, and with the creation. The appropriation of these promises would come through their faithfulness to the Mosaic Covenant. They would love God with all their hearts and nefesh and meod. They would practice monotheism. They wouldn't worship other gods. They would live as the elect, remembering that the salvation of the world was riding upon them. They would follow the commands of the Torah as these reveal the way of life. And they would remember that even if they failed, the offerings and the sacrifices of the temple were given to them as a means of restoring their relationship with God. This was the essence of Israel's theology and Israel's identity in the Old Testament. In closing, I will note that my aim in this survey of Old Testament theology and identity is not to read the text through the lens of 21st century culture, nor even to read the text through the lens of the New Testament. If we want to really understand what's happening in the historical narrative, we have to try and place ourselves in the moment. As we look at the Torah, 
I want to know what was God thinking and feeling as he made a covenant with Israel. And how are the people of Israel thinking and feeling? How do they understand their identity and their purpose in the world? In our next session, we will evaluate how successful Israel was in keeping their end of the bargain. Did Israel become a model people? Did they set an example for the nations to follow? I hope you'll come back again to find out. I'm Dr. David Clark. Thanks for joining me in this session of the podcast, Theology and Identity. If you have any comments or questions about what I've said today, please don't hesitate to reach out to me at david.clark, C-L-A-R-K, at rowhampton.ac.uk. Thank you. 